0: He's really good looking, though.
1: No, he's not. Also, he doesn't shower.
0: He looks clean to me. It's got good hair. Anyway, moving on. He's got greasy hair. is what he has.
1: I'm Rob. And I'm Michelle. And welcome to trade Explaining, a podcast that tries to make sense of international trade, business, and expat life in terms that everyone can understand.
0: So as we record, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is underway... So because this is trade explaining we will talk about aspects related to trade. And many of these are related, of course, to, to sanctions that are being put in place. We'll also have an interview with Annabelle Gonzalez of the WTO, who talks about the future of trade and also where to find a good taco in Geneva. And that apparently is possible. And of course, we'll have a few news items, including what's happening to that Porsche order.
1: So let's get into it. Before we get into the serious stuff, we did have some listener feedback about our episode, which was my debut, as you remember, obviously, because you heard it. One listener said, good episode. Michelle did a great job. Rachel was dynamite. I just want to say I did not leave that review myself. I was going to ask that. No, that, wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't me. I would have said Michelle was fantastic. Breathtaking.
0: Outrageous. Yeah.
1: Since Robin Hardy had already interviewed Rachel's husband, Charles, one listener suggested we interviewed Charles's brother, Walter and said it's not too early to lock Jaya, Charles and Rachel's daughter, into some kind of exclusive. Because here at Tradesplaining...
0: We get your entire family. You come in. You're all coming through the interviews. I guess there are also variations on how's Artie doing?
1: Yes, definitely. There's a lot of hope Artie feels better soon. And what did he actually do? Was he drunk? etc.?
0: So just to clarify, we don't, don't know. Really know.
1: We have no idea. What we can recommend is that you don't ask us, but you ask him because now he's been tweeting.
0: We've seen some tweets and we know he's ready to slip into your DMs with an explanation. Do people do that anymore? Is that a thing?
1: Very respectfully and gentlemanly (laughs) slip into your DMs.
0: And describe to you what happened when he went horizontal on a vertical slope.
1: So tweet us at Tradesplaining and tweet Artie more specifically also on our account though.
0: Very good. Also, um, your listeners are wondering what kind of a group is listening with them? Who Who's out there? Do we have any...
1: I have to say, last week, 80% of our listeners were female, which was amazing.
0: That's a bit of a turn.
1: That's a huge turn compared to the week before, where 100% of our listeners were men. Yeah. And that also means that Taylor Swift is back in the yes, top she five.
0: she And I'm sorry about that last breakup. That didn't sound...
1: Rob feels really bad about Jake Hall. Anyway, other than Taylor Swift... Our listeners have obviously been listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: These are guys I went to high school with. Thanks, guys. I know who you are.
1: (laughs) The Red Hot Chili Peppers fans. And then one artist that they probably don't listen to, Lil Nas X.
0: Lil Nas X, the horse song guy.
1: Yeah, more recently, the devil song guy.
0: Oh, right, with the shoes.
1: With the shoes. Rob is in tune with this generation, guys. Good for you listeners of Lil Nas X.
0: Before we finish the segment, I was just thinking about books, Michelle. Really? Were you also thinking about our sponsor, Audible? I was thinking about Audible. And uh, one of our guests, Charles, who we mentioned a little bit earlier, wrote a book which really examined the sources of some of the things that Putin was saying earlier. And then I went to Audible. And it wasn't there. It wasn't there. They don't, they don't have it. But then that got me to thinking, hey, what does Audible have?
1: And you came up with a great, relevant recommendation. i got a
0: great, relevant recommendation I think everybody's going to love, and they should go immediately to get. It's called Love is Not Enough. This is uh, for Mark Manson. And what he says is being with your partner may feel like rainbows and unicorns. I think we've all been there. And after 29 years of marriage, I'm still there.
1: Ah, uh, You're <laughs> just pandering to Charles and your wife. <laughs>
0: but that doesn't mean you have a healthy, functioning relationship. I thought it did, but it doesn't. Sure, we all need love, but love is not enough. That actually sounds pretty compelling, doesn't it?
1: It sounds amazing. And it sounds very relevant to the Russia-Ukraine
0: situations, but hopefully that in the long run will work out. Hopefully love will be enough. So if you enjoy splaining. And you enjoy love. Go to audibletrial.com slash splaining. And learn all about love and Ukraine. Let's get into the, because it's just going to be Ukraine-Ukraine roundup. You know, just to lead us in, I'm old enough to remember when we thought that was kind of the end of history, late 90s, after the fall of the Soviet Union, our way had won. I'm using air quotes if anybody was not watching. Basically, there was a o- world order coming that was going to be more technocratic, that people were going to live together nicely. So this has brought up, you know, this feeling that, okay, all that was premature. You know, maybe we should have studied history a bit more. Maybe we should have been less euphoric at the time. But what what does it bring up for you guys? How do you react to such a thing?
1: The thing is, every week has felt like the end of the world. You got Twitter, you got all social media just attacking you with everything that's going on. I think you get a little bit less attached to the sort of global conflicts that are out there. So it, it always feels the same, no matter how important or non-important it is, it's still coming at you. It's still trending on Twitter, so it still matters.
0: I, I also feel like, you know, there have been conflicts, massive conflicts. So we have one of the worst humanitarian disasters in, in generations in Yemen. We're not sanctioning anybody. We are not panicking. We are not cutting off SWIFT. So I do think there's a, you know, this because it's European, probably because it's very visual, we're treating it differently. You know, last week I talked about not really thinking it would happen, the prospect of these kinds of North Korea-style sanctions. I think, you know, I, I mentioned it. I said I don't think anybody would follow the U.S. in doing so and in fact it's gotten you know in in fact it's gone much much further than i think i would have anticipated that most people would have anticipated then. so i think we're getting into territory at least when it comes to sanctions that we don't really know what's going to happen we don't really know the long-term implications first of all as i mentioned last week the the us is using kind of huawei type sanctions to stop russia sourcing technology so any technology that's used u.s design that's used u.s services US blueprints. So most of, most of the chips out there, for instance, can no longer legally be traded uh, with Russia. And that did have a massive impact on Huawei and probably not immediately, but will have some sort of, uh, as I mentioned last week, some effect on, on Russia's ability to, you know, to to innovate and be on the, on the forefront. We've also heard of stopping Russian banks from processing payments through the US reserves. That's a, that's a very big and, and uh, quite rare for a country that's the 11th largest economy in the world. We also, you know, stopping Russia's central bank from protecting the ruble. In other words, buy rubles with dollars, for instance. And there's a bunch of other stuff. They've cut off all flights over Russian airspace. They've cut off Russian planes coming over airspace in Europe. They've, my brother, you know, tried to source a part for his Audi, which is, you know, the automatic door lock. He actually got a message which said, this is manufactured either in Ukraine or in Russia and therefore is no longer available. So there's supply chain issues. Uh, There's a bunch of really not very good looking oligarchs, at least according to my local paper, who have been sanctioned.
1: Your local paper comments on the looks of oligarchs? No, it just shows them. And Uh. they look
0: like somebody you'd want to sanction. I mean, they're not like stylish. What, is Elon Musk like super hot? Maybe I'm getting a little bit off on a tangent here. But the one thing they haven't sanctioned, we know is natural gas and oil. We, We see release of strategic oil reserves by the West, in order to try to cushion any uh, supply disruptions, and tr- in order to bring prices down. A lot of these things are the backbone of trade. So if you can't make payments easily through the SWIFT system, or if you think eventually you're going to get sanctioned, so everybody out there who's an ol- you know, who's a, who's a, uh, autocratic regime is thinking, we don't want to be part of these systems. If you source US technology uh, for computer chips, so at some point could be cut off from me. Where am I going to look? Uh, so that can have distorting situation as we talked with Rachel last week about the global economy bifurcating so all of these things mean that there's this geopolitical overhang to to a lot of decisions being made about trade and finance so th- these are these are i guess this is the biggest story in trade right now
1: it's the biggest story in everything right now yeah you can't avoid it
0: you know for, for all the cost this has in terms of you know, lost economic development lost trade will it affect the geopolitical situation we have to stand by and watch.
1: Right. I mean, that's always the argument, right? Is it people or is it the leaders that we're affecting with sanctions? That's at least been the argument that I've seen the most online.
0: So my argument is if you've got a billion and 800 million of it is frozen in Brussels, but you still got 200 million, is that really difficult? How hard is that?
1: The problem is when you have, you know, the little people, what about us? (laughs)
0: Exactly. What about my brother with his, with his automatic door lock system? And I think the, the one thing maybe that's been most surprising to me is now we see companies kind of joining in the sanctions. So we see BP and Shell pulling out of multi-billion dollar positions in Russian companies, in, in Russian uh, oil assets. And we see uh, companies like Maersk saying we're ready to cut off all of, all of our deliveries to certain markets. I'm wondering how you make such a decision. And will it be every time there's an invasion or it's every time there's a bad invasion or every time there's a violation of international law or is it every time there's a violation that's really bad of international law? I, you know, I wonder how we how exactly we set the set the bar here.
1: My question is, how did we decide or how did tech billionaires or big companies, how did they become this powerful to do this? Did you see that Elon Musk's satellite was on top of Ukraine to provide internet for everybody isn't it insane that a single human being on this planet not a government not even like the company but himself decided unilaterally to just act as a government i mean that's a lot
0: that's a lot i did not know that good it's good right
1: yeah yeah it's definitely good but shouldn't we be relying on you know democratically elected leaders instead of you know having these singular individuals that I mean, just as well as he could decide to put a satellite over Ukraine, he could have decided to put it over Russia or to help out on any any side that he wants. Yeah, he can exactly. decide. We don't have a say in that. So I think it's the same for every company that's, you know, putting up sanctions or, or sort of deciding at the moment. It's a part of public opinion, especially for Elon Musk. And it's another part of, you know, why they're allowed to make such big decisions.
0: And we see the same with uh, these platforms saying, well, Russia is is issuing misinformation. So we're going to cut off all Russian official sources from using Facebook, from using, I think, YouTube. I mean, I'm not against it. I'm, I'm for We do ask how and why this time. Exactly. How about Switzerland making decisions, though, Rob? Good old neutral Switzerland. You're Swiss. I'm Swiss. So this is an area of obviously great interest for you. So at the beginning of the crisis, Swiss is a you know, long tradition of neutrality. So at the beginning of the crisis, the Swiss were saying, they didn't want any new banking relationships with Russia over the weekend. Actually, though, however, did they adopted all of the uh, effectively all the European sanctions targeting Russian certain Russian oligarchs? Certain others they didn't. There's a lot around in Switzerland, so
1: they just targeted the ugly ones.
0: No, the other ones they didn't target also are not great, and they're all dudes. Tinder for oligarchs must be awful. Although money helps.
1: Maybe you're the Tinder swindler and you just invite somebody on your plane on the first date. That's... That also means that you sent your passport information to somebody you met on Tinder.
0: No, you're not doing that. You're not like, hi, here's, here's my, my passport. passport. No,
1: no, here's my bank account too. Do you want it? No, the good thing about the Tinder swindler is that I would like, if some guy was like, my enemies are chasing me, I need money. I'd be like, well, good luck to you. <laughs> I got like 10 cents
0: here. Because as, as I think we both have understood Love, Love is
1: not is enough. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Audible trial slash explaining. Get that book.
0: So uh, yeah, in Switzerland just to round out the point, they adopted all of e- all of uh, effectively all of the EU sanctions and the issue of neutrality. I think it came out on two sides. One side said neutrality does not mean inaction or no action, and then you have the other side which saying neutral that sanctions is just war by another means. That's your say your, your right wing Swiss nationalists. And they also use this as a chance to ask for more defense budget. This could be a chance to really seal the deal for the American-made F-35 fighters.
1: Are we sponsored by them as well?
0: Yes, exactly. Slash-splaining. <laughs> F-35. F-35 com.
1: slash-splaining for a discount code on your very own fighter jet.
0: Okay, one last point on the sanctions before we you know, get to the, the fun stuff which is that uh, we know the Russians had tried to create a kind of fortress economy and be sanctions proof. Jury's out. Did they succeed? I think things are going to get a little hot over there. I think, you know, this, this really does speak to this continuing separation of the global economy, which I think, you know, is worrying in the sense that we need kind of global solutions. What was already underway in terms of these divisions, these economic divisions, seem to be, seem to be reinforced. Yes, Michelle, uh, in come in back. here, please.
1: I thought you were going to talk about how the U.S. is coming up with their very own Eurovision, which is insulting.
0: Well, I think, you know, Eurovision, if, for instance, Europe cuts us off from Eurovision, do which we have an do. alternative? Do we have a homegrown alternative?
1: Yes, the American Song Contest, which will be airing on NBC in 2022 on as okay. to One. Yeah, you can watch the American Song Contest and instead of countries, it's states,
0: because that's how the U.S. does everything. But can it get to the same level of camp? I mean, of can, course you, can you do not. that right away?
1: No. I don't think you can do that, especially not on NBC.
0: And Eurovision, I guess, banned Russia, you know, now that we're on, on the sanction. What was, do you remember Russia's entry from last year?
1: I do. I don't think it was that good. I don't think it's a huge loss. I think the biggest losses for Eurovisions would be Latvia. Italy and Iceland, because Iceland is always like here to be punk rock and whatever. Latvia is always there to be super ultra camp. And then Italy just has like really good songs every year.
0: Also, there have been some other, you know, really important developments. The state of New Hampshire banned Russian alcohol from state liquor stores. So the governor of New Hampshire said uh, Russian sourced alcohol may no longer be sold. What I did uh, learn after that is that many things with Russian names are not actually Russian. Stolichnaya, unfortunately, I do believe that does come from Russia.
1: No, you said it's, it's not from It's made in Russia. Latvia. Because ah. Latvia is the best!
0: <laughs> we did not rehearse this, folks. So Stolichnaya can still be sold in New Hampshire liquor stores for those of you up north there.
1: Who want to accompany the Eurovision Song Contest with something that's also made in Latvia. Just a quick note before we begin this interview. We want to let you know that this was recorded before the war between Russia and Ukraine started. So obviously it won't come up in the conversation.
0: Ms. Annabelle Gonzalez has served as the WTO Deputy Director General since June 2021. She's a renowned global expert on trade, investment, and economic development with a proven managerial track record in international organizations and the public sector. In government, Ms. Gonzalez served as Minister of Foreign Trade of Costa Rica and a number of other capacities, including ambassador and chief Negotiator, Vice Minister of Trade, and Director General for Trade Negotiations. She was also Director General of the Costa Rican Investment Promotion Agency. Before that, she served at the World Bank as Senior Director of the global practice on trade and competitiveness in WTO as director of the agriculture and commodities division and in a senior role with Inter-American Development Bank. More recently, uh, Annabelle was uh, working as a non-resident senior fellow with the Peterson Global Institute for International Economics, where she hosted the virtual series Trade Wins and as senior advisor to the Boston Consulting Group. Ms. Gonzalez obtained her master's degree from Georgetown University Law Center with the highest academic distinction and has published extensively and lectured across the world on trade investment and economic development. Okay, Annabelle Gonzalez, thanks very much for joining us on Trade Explaining.
2: Thank you very much for having me. We start off, can you tell us a
0: little bit about yourself and how did you end up in the field of trade and ultimately at the WTO?
2: So I started working at the Ministry of Foreign Trade, several positions. I became a vice minister of a trade and after that, move on to lead the investment promotion agency of uh, my country of, of uh, origin, Costa Rica, then came back to the ministry as uh, ambassador, chief negotiator of uh, FTAs, then actually came to uh, the WTO as director of the agricultural division. Then decided to go back home, did a short stint at the Inter-American Development Bank, became Minister of Trade of Costa Rica for four years, then moved to the World Bank, led the global practice on trade and competitiveness at the bank. After that, went to the Peterson Institute and as an advisor, uh, Boston Consulting Group. And then from there, I came to Geneva last year. So so I've been in the trade arena, trade and investment for for quite a while now.
0: And that's, that's uh, it's somewhat unusual for those we interview, but you've gone in and out of different kinds of, of course different roles, public, private, uh, international organizations. So last couple of years, of course, we faced COVID. Would you say it's changed your thinking about trade in any way? Have you become more optimistic, less optimistic?
2: My view has changed in the sense that it's clear to me that the only thing that is certain about the future is uncertainty. You know, people Mm -hmm. always said that before COVID, but I think this has made it very, very clear. And that is true of uh, the future of trade as well. Uh, we don't know whether, you know, the next major global crisis would be financial, climate related or caused by a cyber attack or another pandemic or something. But if this pandemic is any guide, we can be certain that trade and international cooperation Will be critically important to help us weather whatever crisis comes uh, comes our way. And let me just take the example for you know of, of this pandemic. Even as COVID nineteen severely disrupted trading global supply chains, the value of trade in medical goods rose by sixteen percent mm. in in twenty twenty. In the case of face masks and ventilators, global imports increased by eighty percent, forty four percent for test kits and diagnostic reagents, and so on. So without international trade it is hard to see how the world could have moved COVID-19 vaccines uh, from the lab to the production line, out of the factory, and into people's arms at record speed and massive scale, even though we are still lagging a bit behind in that area. So while I recognize the uncertainty about the future of trade I'm also optimistic that, you know, we can come together and foster international trade cooperation to help address the, the, you know, whatever, whatever crisis we may face.
0: Yeah. I mean, I often say, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't have trade, we'd have to invent it. I mean, what you say is kind of a good segue into my next question, which is, so we're sort of at the beginning of 2022. It feels like maybe there's a a reduction in, uh, you know, COVID type barriers and other things. So what would you say are the two or three things that are on your mind that we should watch for 22 in terms of developments in trade?
2: So the latest trade data, uh, which are for the third quarter of 2021, showed that the volume of world merchandise trade was up 2.7% compared to pre-pandemic levels. So merchandise trade has fully recovered after a sharp decline. In contrast to goods trade versus trade has, has yet to recover fully to pre-pandemic uh, levels. So, you know, at this point, I think the, the trade outlook is clouded by, by several aspects like regional disparities and lagging vaccination rates, particularly in poor countries, as well as uncertainty regarding the evolution of COVID-19 and its impact on, on economic recovery. And of course, and, you know, and this is one of the uh, issues that I think we need to pay attention to, we are facing supply chain disruptions caused by surging input demand, along with disruption in the production of, you know, automobiles, semiconductors, and other widely traded goods. So at the WTO, we still believe that supply chain thr- disruptions will be temporary, but clearly they, they are taking longer to resolve than initially uh, expected. I think one important question here is, in particular, whether there will be, you know, some of the current bottlenecks that we are seeing will lead to a more permanent shift in the organization of supply chain themselves. Another important area, which is also, of course, related to the supply chain disruption is, you know, other other factors like uh, climate risk and geopolitical tensions, uh, technological disruptions, more inward-looking trade policies. So, you know, not all of these forces will pull in the direction of less trade and globalization. And, and clearly, I think another aspect that, that is very important is the, you know, the role of trade in supporting climate change adaptation. And in all of these elements will have a, an important impact on, on trade this year. And for the, so, and the WTO
0: itself is, you know, at the center of many of these things, but doesn't always get, you know, the best press, the need for WTO, the role of WTO, where the WTO is able to get things done. And even we, you know, I read a study which said Americans even... They blame not trade but trade agreements for threatened for threats to jobs. What you know? What what should we look at for the future of the WTO? I mean, I think it's going to be a, a good year for for the institution itself. And and what you know? What are we missing? What are we not explaining to people about the WTO? They should know.
2: So I think you're talking about uh, two things, and both of which are important. One is what is the role of the WTO. And then what is the impact of of trade? So let me address the second one first. Evidence has shown that trade has been critical to poverty eradication and to improve quality of life around, around the world. Having said that, it is true that, you know, as a result of trade, but also as a result, and maybe more important, of uh, technology or in consumer preferences or other, some people lose their job, and and as a result of that, there you know there then that of course gets more visibility than sometimes the positive aspects of up uh, trade. So it is also the case that's important for governments and societies as such to you know put in place uh, a number of other policies that can complement trade and can help mitigate the, you know, the potential uh, effects that trade may have on, on the labor market. In the case of the WTO, a number of people have said that if the WTO wouldn't exist, it had to be created. Mm. And I think that that is uh, the case because the WTO serves, you know, three very important functions. It lays down the rules that uh, help govern trade. And this is important because rather than be the law uh, of the jungle, it is based on the power of the law. And I think that that is very important. Second element is that it helps uh, sort out trade disputes um, among countries. And even today, with, with the challenge that the system is facing, countries continue to bring their disputes uh, to the uh, WTO because they value that, uh, you know, independent uh, third party can help them solve their, their trade conflicts. And, and then there's also a very important function in terms of monitoring uh, the government's policies. It's clear that in the world today, the role of the WTO is even more important, if you wish, than before. Because there are a number of problems, global, you know, issues that need to be addressed. And we can think about, you know, we we're talking about health people, we, we we're talking about climate change, for example. And and here the WTO can have a very important role to play. But it is also the case that the WTO needs to be reformed. The trade and investment landscape has been changing rapidly, and the WTO needs to be, to be reformed to be, to be fit for purpose and to be fit for the future that, you know, the future of trade.
0: What, what are some of the things that could help it work better? I mean, one of the things that we see is many more members are active now, so it's difficult to establish consensus. Would that be one of the areas? There's, let's say, questions raised about the time and expense. And even the role of dispute settlement, and there, there's many other areas. So, uh, what areas do you think would be most important to make it work?
2: So, there's several elements that uh, that one can discuss, but let me focus, for instance, on the negotiations function, which is such an important yeah. uh, role for for WTO. And here, there are, for there is, you know, it's important to continue. Uh, to work under the option of multilateral negotiations. And there are some topics, of course, that are better for, for a discussion among all WTO members. But it is also true that there are other formats that can be very useful. And uh, one of those formats is the plurilateral negotiations, where mm-hmm. groups of countries that have an interest uh, on a particular topic uh, topic come together and develop a rules and develop a framework to govern trade in that particular area. We had, a, I think, a very, you know, a great success story last year here in the WTO with the with the adoption of the uh, Services Domestic Regulation Initiative that basically looks at reduced red tape in the area of uh, services. And services trade is, is so important that this agreement can have uh, you know, a very positive impact on on uh, services trade. Now, you know, there are discussions going on in that format on uh, investment facilitation, on e-commerce. In the area of environment, we see initial discussions that maybe will lead uh, to some collateral negotiations in some areas as well. So this is clearly, you know, one aspect where the WTO Has already begun to change, but that change probably needs to be embedded further in in the organization, again, as an alternative for members to develop new rules to govern trade among them.
0: So I want to switch a little bit because your career has gone way beyond WTO, obviously, to to many other aspects. We, Artie and I, work in trade and development, especially for SMEs. And a lot of the work we've done in the past maybe has focused on competitiveness. But increasingly, obviously, we now need to think about what impact can we have. So can we improve uh, environmental performance? Can we be more inclusive? Can we, you know, countries address their development challenges, you know, through trade? So based on the career you've had, what would you advise somebody like me in the challenge? You know, I'm facing this challenge. What should I do working with small business and trade have a greater impact on some of those SDG, those those big, you know, kind of, uh, let's say, existential questions?
2: When working with small businesses, there are, of course, many challenges many, you know, there are many challenges out there. So when, when I was minister of trade, I worked with our expert promotion agency to try to support small businesses. And likewise, when I was uh, at the bank and there is a point about helping businesses identify uh, new opportunities. There's always, you know, information asymmetries. Businesses sometimes do not know where the opportunities may, may be. So there's a role to be had there. There's also a role in terms of uh, supporting businesses, you know, being, being, being fit for trade. And that speaks to developing, helping them uh, with uh, developing managerial capabilities, helping them with, you know, positioning their product. It can also be about perseverance. You know, mm, it's yeah. not sometimes the business, you know, tries to engage in trade, being exporting and importing. And, and the experience is not a success. Well, you learn from that and you continue to to persevere. There are many great stories around, around the world and in many big countries developing and advanced about small businesses being able to compete. I think it was probably much more difficult before. I think e-commerce really opens a fantastic, a fantastic platform for small businesses to engage in trade. Some of them, are uh, you know, they're born digital. Uh, you can start working from your own. Uh, from your own home, and uh, and again, there are many uh, successful stories. But it is true that it is it is hard access to finance, for example, is one of the major challenges faced by uh, small business. Complex regulatory frameworks, as well, dealing with complex customs procedures. If you're working in the in the field of uh, supporting small business, you you know you you have your your work cut out for you uh, for sure. From the perspective of the WTO, I think that developing rules with you know the the perspective of small business in in mind is is very critical. And I always like to say that our trade facilitation agreement is precisely about small businesses. It's trying to help small businesses, you know navigate all the paperwork that is required to to trade. A lot of the work that we can do here at the WTO is with the, with the objective of opening opportunities for, for small mid-sized uh, businesses in, in developing and in advanced countries. I mean,
0: Costa Rica often is presented as, a, as an example of how to do things right. The investment uh, promotion agency is seen as, as doing very well in terms of climate and environment. I mean, it's a country that's very, been very affected, but also managed it well. How does Costa Rica get it right? What have you guys done right that the rest of us are, are missing?
2: Well, you know, I think Costa Rica has done many things right, but it also has, of course, a number uh, a number of uh, challenges, uh, like like all countries do. I would say that probably three three there are three areas where Costa Rica sort of has invested for a long time, and, and in a way has contributed to having a uh, you know good uh, outcome uh, on a number of fronts. Uh, the first one is that it realized long time ago that it's a small economy, so being you know being small. It was important to be open and it was important to have a good business climate to attract uh, investment. So it has, you know, it has really paid a lot of attention to uh, trade and investment policies. The second, it has always understood as well that having strong institutions is critical and it has a, you know, a, a solid, for instance, education system. Uh, it has a solid health system. And the fact that it eliminated the army over 50, more than 50 years ago, close to 70 years ago now actually allowed it to make investments in some of these uh, other areas and also to work, you know, in terms of improving the rule of law and uh, governance issues. And the third area, which is of course very important, is sustainability. And it has actually turned into a competitive advantage in a number of areas like uh, ecotourism, for example. So I would say probably... You know, openness, institutions, and and a commitment to sustainability are are three important factors. Okay, just
0: a couple more questions. So the last one, kind of on the substance, before we before I ask you a few questions about Geneva and so on. I mean, you started your career at a time when there were there were relatively few women at the at the level that you've reached. You know, I, I guess I ask, you know, do you think things have improved? What kinds of challenges did you face then? Do you think, and what would you, you know, in, in a way, what would you advise uh, the are women listening who who want to do the same thing.
2: You know, I, I think the situation has changed up uh, for the, the for the better. And it's great to see so, uh, so many more women at the helm of international trade and economic institutions. Mm-hmm. You know, from my compatriot Rebecca at Rebecca Greenspan at OnTAT to Pamela Cook-Hamilton at ITC to Kristalina Georgieva at the IMF. And of course, uh, to our own leader here at the WTO, Dr. Nkosi Okonjo-Iwala. Having said this, the critical question is not your gender, but whether you are the best person for the job. This is confirmed also, you know, by research for for the private uh, sector. I remember there's a study from the Peterson Institute that found that a company meeting, you know, the 30% threshold of women in the positions could add up to seven percentage points to its net margin. So it's not only... You know, it's not only the right thing to do, but it's also from a business perspective, I think it delivers important returns, again, because diversity, I think is, is very important. So I would advise, you know, to to all about uh, your women listeners, you know, to continue to continue to work hard. Uh, there are indeed uh, some challenges out there, but I think there are uh, much more opportunities. And I am convinced that for institutions, organizations, the private sector, bringing in diverse groups of uh, candidates to fill leadership positions increases the chances of finding the best person for the job.
0: So. I want to ask a couple of questions about expat life in Geneva. So most of the folks we interviewed, they're, they're, they're expats or the expats at some time in their life. When you have lived outside Costa Rica and looking back at uh, stuff in your country, what have you learned? What did you see that you, you wouldn't otherwise have seen?
2: I think Costa Rica is very popular, a very popular place, you know, abroad and, and people want to want to, you know, they really would like to visit the country. And that is something that Of course, I I, I knew that, but when, you know, when you, when you go abroad, so I remember 30 years ago, when you said Costa Rica, people said, oh, Puerto Rico. And I said, no, 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 different place. Today, you know, it's a, it's a well-known country and it has a good image abroad. So, so that's something that I've learned over, over the years. And then Geneva,
0: I mean, it's, it's uh, widely recognized as, uh, unlike Costa Rica, as boring. So do you find uh, do you find Geneva boring or is it a place you travel in?
2: It's, it's probably not fair to compare uh, Geneva to you know to to, to Paris or, or or New York, but I think Geneva is Geneva and it has uh, many special things to it, you know, the beautiful lake. Uh, but uh, it's also it's also the case that it has a great location. You know you you know you can drive an hour and you're in your fantastic uh, mountains, and you're also very close to to you know to many other great places like you know Madrid or you know or Paris again or milan so so i like geneva i think it has a a a beauty of its own i think
0: yeah and as i said it's always i mean okay i came here as an adult with kids but so i don't need to eat dinner at at midnight but you know you can still get into trouble here you know and then the last one we ask where above all the the podcast is rigorous you know we do collect data so what is your favorite kebab kebab is kind of the national food in geneva we know that what's your favorite kebab in geneva
2: well, I'm I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm not a very you know I'm not a great kebab fan. I prefer tacos, so I'm always looking for for tacos places, and I find I found some some good places here in Geneva. I, I like one that is called uh, Los Cunyals in Ov, but mm. there are you know there are certainly a few others in a, in a Paqui Catherine, and others. So. So I go for the tacos uh, rather than the kebab.
0: Fantastic. Actually, you're right and it's Im- that's improved incredibly since I first got here. Well, Annabelle Gonzalez, thanks a lot for uh, talking to us on trade's planning. Is there anything that we can direct our listeners to read or to to go to in terms of uh, web content that uh, you know that is shows your work?
2: Well, I think probably the best uh, place that I can send you to is uh, my Twitter I try to share my views on many topics. So uh, NLG at uh, Twitter.
0: So that's that's it for the podcast. Thanks again for, for being here. Thank
2: you very much, Rob. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks and my regards to Ardu.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this week in local news. You wouldn't believe this was true unless you lived in Geneva or, of course, anywhere else. So uh, I mentioned at the beginning, there is a cargo ship on fire in the atlantic ocean filled with luxury cars and i just i just wanted to find out if that's okay to laugh about the crew got off you know okay. safe
1: if the crew's off then
0: <laughs> and the, this week i uh you know i put this on the script and then i noticed the ship sank
1: oh no all of those beautiful cars at the bottom of the ocean
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry listeners if you have bought a porsche but if you bought a porsche you get regular updates on where your Porsche is.
1: That's great. So you can see exactly <laughs> where it is at the bottom of the ocean.
0: So your eggplant Porsche SUV is now at 1,000 meters? colonized by the fish. It's now at 2,000 meters. So I think we, you know, our hearts do need to go out to those who have lost an Audi.
1: Luxury homes for the fishes.
0: So, um, so we, we were monitoring that story. Now we're monitoring it less because the ship did sink. Now you did make it to London fairly recently and you found something that was uh, somewhat disturbing.
1: Yes, I want to talk to the listeners about this because maybe one of you has an explanation for this. So if you go to London and apparently most major cities in the UK and you go down the high street, which is kind of the main shopping street, you'll find not just H&M and Zara and that kind of place. You'll find a lot of American candy stores and they sell, you know, Lucky Charms, whatever other American candy there is, Cheetos. Oh, lovely. Yeah, they sell Cheetos, but they're very expensive, like weirdly expensive for Cheetos. I don't know. I don't know what's in those Cheetos. Right. But I don't understand why there's like a hundred down Oxford Street. So if anybody has an explanation.
0: Because there's so many of them, they're clearly not making any money.
1: Of course not. There's nobody in them. You might see one store and go get candy, but I don't see the point. Of many. many of these. Like, why would you want to go to, you know, H&M and then go get a pack of hot Cheetos? It doesn't feel like a day to me.
0: So, so the, this is a kind of developing story. Let's keep an eye on this. Yes. Did you go inside one?
1: Yes, I did. did that's how purchase? I found out they're very expensive.
0: Uh, that's where you did. You did not acquire.
1: I did not acquire the hot Cheetos. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It could be money laundering. Most people are saying that.
0: Yeah. This is like uh, hairdressers in Geneva. There's such an incredible number of them.
1: Is it just because they don't need a license?
0: Yeah, but they're, they've are they got space. We know space ain't cheap. That's true. There's a bunch of guys who started doing beard trimming. Yes. The prices are low.
1: Are they? I yeah. don't know. I don't get my beard trimmed.
0: <laughs> Thank you, folks. Good night. <laughs> Maybe where we're going with this is we'd like to have enough money to need to set up a business to launder it.
1: And you can help us by going to Splaining and sign up you don't even have to give us money directly you can just sign up and they'll come
0: and you can uh, of course we recommend Love is Not Enough
1: Love is Not Enough but Hot Cheetos are
0: Hot Cheetos could be but you might be contributing also to money laundering Well, folks, that about wraps up episode 29. We'd like to thank our guest Annabelle Gonzalez of the WTO for talking to us about what to anticipate in trade in 2022.
1: That's right. We also want to thank Artie for forcing us to record this, but also for tweeting us most of the content. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already to make sure to catch our next episode coming out very soon and hopefully with Artie this time. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and really anywhere you get your podcast. And also don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to us, you have the time. You can also follow us on Twitter at TradeSplaining
0: and Instagram Trade.Splaining. Or for those of you in my generation who are listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers right now, please email your questions slash comments to us at Trade.Splaining at gmail.com. That's Trade.Splaining at gmail.com. And remember... Listen responsibly.